Welcome to the Grace for This City podcast. We're helping you turn your cities upside down. Hey, I'm your host, Justin Goff. Stay tuned. We got a great show for you today. Right. Good morning, everybody around the world. We've been in 155 nations. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And we're honored to do it. Yes, we are. And uh, so again, we thank you for tuning in. This is the Grace for This City podcast. I'm Justin, and we're going to help you turn your world, your cities upside down for Jesus. Hallelujah. Uh, Let's see here. A couple things. Uh, One, I want to invite you to participate in a new project that we've uh, launched and we're calling it our studio project and it's going to uh, include new studios one new studio for the podcast and another studio for a different type of content production and still yet another three studios we have a building on our property where we can fit three uh, three studios in it and uh, again, one of those studios will be a brand new podcast studio. And so if you want to participate in that, we invite you to do so. You can go to our website, gracecitychurch.tv forward slash give, and you can uh, give to the studio project. We thank you in advance for helping us make that possible where we can continue to produce content just like this and get it around the world. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for helping us with that. Also, if you know somebody that would be blessed uh, to get some of the content on CD. We're producing CDs of every podcast. I've got one right here. This is episode 108. And this was the one that we did. Uh, we talked about obstructions to seeing in the spirit. And that was part of our uh, imagination series where the Bible talks about the ability to see an unseen thing utilizes the mechanism of the imagination. And we talked about obstructions to that. That was a great episode. If you know somebody that would be blessed to receive that on CD, it would be our honor to mail it to them at no charge. Just reach out to us. Send us an email, hello at gracecitychurch.tv. That's hello at gracecitychurch.tv, and we'll get that right out to them. Awesome. Are you ready for today's episode? I am. It's going to be good. So if you got your Bibles or you know your digital Bible, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18. And I want to talk about, continue to talk about, this mystery that's in the Bible. In fact, I told you to turn to 1 Corinthians. Turn to Ephesians first. Let's go to Ephesians 5 first, and then we'll go right to 1 Corinthians 12. But I want to show you something here. The Bible says that there is a mystery being revealed. What are Bible mysteries? Lots of them, or several of them. Bible mysteries are hidden things, but they're not hidden from us. They're hidden for us. They're hidden until the time that we can come to the revelation of it. And this is one of the mysteries that Paul's writing about concerning Christ and the church. And in verse 32 of Ephesians 5, it says this, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And if you go up several verses, he's talking about husbands and wives. But then again, that is not the ultimate end of this mystery as it concerns husbands and wives. He's also talking about in there the head and the body. And as we discovered, that is the mystery that he is referring to, that Jesus Christ is the head of this thing called the body. And the body is made up of many members, you and I, if you're born again, okay, the ecclesia, the born again, the new creation in Christ Jesus, those that have a new spirit within them, we make up the body of Christ. And in that body, it's neither male nor female. It's not distinguished as being male nor female, but in Christ, both male and female are united in him to form one body, him as the head. Now, one thing we see throughout Scripture, (coughs) excuse me, one thing we see throughout Scripture is that he brings two and makes them one. We saw this mystery fleshed out through male, female, husband, wife, But ultimately, what he brought back together was a head and a body. Oh, it's phenomenal, friends, when we look at the scriptural overview, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to go a little bit further and see what the Bible says. So let's go now to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 
1 Corinthians 12 and look at verse 18. <clears throat> Excuse me. But now as things really are, the Amplified says, God has placed and arranged the parts in the body. Each of these parts, friends, are you and I. We're members, instruments, members. We are the parts and pieces that make up this body of Christ. He goes on to say, each one of them, just as he willed and saw fit. We don't choose. We didn't choose our place. We don't actually bring definition to our place. He does. And it says there that he placed us as he willed and saw fit with the best balance of function. Now, one thing that we'll understand is that God defines relationships. God brings definition to these roles. And we don't arbitrarily choose our place. We don't arbitrarily choose our own definition of relationship. For, for example, God has defined husband. God has defined wife. God has defined male. God has defined female. God has defined head. And of course, God has defined body. We yield to these definitions when we come to the knowledge of them. <clears throat> for example, God is the one that chooses gender. We don't. He chose. He has already defined, hey, you'll be a male. He's already defined, hey, you'll be a female. And then there's obviously the fleshing out of that, which makes his definitions obvious. There's anointings and graces, etc., that are associated with his definitions. Hey, look at there. Do you see that arm? That's Bob. By the way, it's Bob's birthday today. <laughs> Happy birthday, Bob. You can't hear him. He doesn't have a microphone. Anyways, Bob's my man behind the scenes. Anyways, Bob's birthday today. Everybody say, happy birthday, Bob. So God defines relationships. All right, now, in keeping with this thought here, we're discovering that not only did God create us male and or female, again, we didn't choose our gender, God chose for us. We also discovered that we don't arbitrarily choose our own giftings. These are inborn uh, these giftings, these graces, Paul wrote about the grace that made him who he was. These graces, they make you and they locate you. These giftings, these abilities, these anointings, they make room for you, meaning you didn't arbitrarily choose. God had a part in orchestrating this. And uh, so these graces, these anointings, these giftings, they locate us in a specific family or in a body or a ministry or an organization. These giftings is what uh, determine some of our placement in the workforce, say. And then lastly, we're discovering that he has arranged us, and in some instances, he has preordained that we would be in a place of headship. We would call this the headship anointing or generically leadership. Sometimes God has orchestrated or designed us to be leaders Romans 12 actually says that that is a particular grace or gift from the Father. And then, of course, we will find out and realize God has anointed some of us specifically to be in a body role. Now, you may play both sides of that. You may be uh, the leader in one area and not the leader in another. So if you're in the head in one area and not over here, then what are, what are you in this position over here where you're not the leader, where you would be in a body role? position. There's an anointing then to serve as part of the body under a leader or under a headship anointing. Look at this in Genesis 2.18. Let's go to Genesis 2. We'll go all the way back here. Whoa, we'll go way back here. <clears throat> and we'll see this. Now right here, we'll actually go to Genesis 1. We'll start in the very first book of beginnings, first chapter of the book of beginnings. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Now here it says God created man. That word man is actually the word for mankind. God created mankind or humankind. In his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now go over here to Genesis 2. And look at verse 18. And it says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man, mankind, should be alone. That word man right there translated mankind. Um, 
is, I don't know, used thousands of times throughout the Bible, and it always refers to mankind, which can include both male and female. That's why that particular word is used there, because it's a broad category that's just talking about humankind. And later when we see the word, uh, uh, we know it as Adam, but it's Adam or Adam. And uh, Dom is the Hebrew word that means of blood. And so we will discover that this mankind, one of the unique things about him is that uh, he had blood in him. But this category is kind of like a broad category, which includes both male and female. So here he says, it's not good that mankind should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him is what the uh, New King James says. And the Hebrew phrase helper comparable is eight zer konegdo, eight zer konegdo. And I may not be saying that exactly right because that's not my first language, but it, uh, that's the Hebrew phrase helper comparable. Now, this is very interesting because next we'll see in verse 21 that the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on, there we see Adam. But that's the Hebrew word for mankind, humankind, or of blood, Adam. And when mankind slept, God took one of his ribs. By the way, the Hebrew word for rib is the Hebrew word law, And it actually means uh, side or half of a whole. It's not just a rib. He didn't just take a spare part or a spare rib. There's been some spinoff teachings that talk about that he had an extra rib. No, no, no. Woman is not a spare part. And as we'll see with this helper comparable, uh, she's actually a fascinating creation that is equal to. But here he says he took a rib and he fashioned out of this rib, or he took half of man. He took woman from man and made her a distinct, separate being, person. Hallelujah. All right, now let's go back up here to... This phrase, helper comparable to him. All right, so here is mankind. Now, I don't want to freak anybody out, but in Genesis 1.27, when God created mankind, he created mankind in his own image. And in the Godhead was all the attributes that you and I see distinctly separated in male and female. And in mankind were both attributes. And when mankind was laying there, he took half of mankind out. Eitzer connecto. He took half of mankind out and made a helper comparable to uh, it or him. Uh, He would later become known as Ish or male man or husband as uh, Ish is translated. But here he pulled out the attributes of female and stood her as a mirror image or face to face to Adam. This is what this phrase, Eitzer Connecto, means. It literally means a help that is like him, a help that is equal but distinct or opposite. It literally means other half because it means mirror or face-to-face. It means opposite attributes. So woman was uh, of Adam, meaning she was mankind of blood, but she had the uh, exact or direct opposite attributes as Adam did. Eve, as we know her, Eve had the exact opposite attributes that Adam had. And this was God's design. He separated male and female. He separated woman from man. He separated head from body. He separated husband from wife. He separated isha from ish. Those are the Hebrew words. This word, comparable or helper comparable, it means help that is suited for him. It means help, aid, or support that is compatible or comparable. The only thing compatible with a husband is a wife. The only thing compatible with a head is a body. The only thing compatible with a male, come on, is a female. Hallelujah for that. Somebody's getting all twisted out there today. Hallelujah. No need. It's so simple. Don't make it complicated. This word, Eitzer Connecto, or this phrase, helper comparable, it means directly across or in front of or facing. It literally means face-to-face or mirror image. 
woman is a mirror image of man just with different attributes. Uh, it means the right hand of or the place of strength. It means one that corresponds to. Well, what corresponds to a husband? A wife does. What corresponds to a male? A female does. What corresponds to a head? A body does. Now, there's a little bit of some argument over this particular rendering of the word Eitzer, but some translate it to mean power or ability. And when you couple that with konegdo or mirror or opposite, then we get this idea that Eitzer konegdo, a helper comparable, could mean that this helper was equal in power and ability, but parallel. Hallelujah. See, a lot of people think that woman is less than man. No, no, woman was designed to be a helper, not necessarily to be less than. Uh, there's been some real diminishment over the role and the place and the ability of women. No, no, no. God created a uh, woman specifically in order to divulge his attributes that are reflected in woman. You know, you got to understand we were made in, in the image of Father God. And so he separated his own attributes and he put some in uh, uh, Adam, as we know him. He put some in the head and he put some of his attributes in the body. Woman, as we will come to understand throughout the mystery being revealed, woman is that. Ish, ish or, excuse me, Isha, wife, woman, body. That's the mystery, that woman was to reflect the mystery of the Godhead as it concerned the attributes of being a body. Man, husband, ish, head, was designed to reflect the attributes of the Godhead as it concerns uh, the headship anointing or those attributes of him as head. Now, if you go back here in chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 18, it says, it's not good that a man should be alone. Look at this in Psalm 8. Go to Psalm chapter 8. Oh, the Lord's helping us, friends. Listen, this will clear up so much confusion and contention and division. Look at this in Psalm 8. And uh, David had a revelation. And he was privy to something that happened before man was even being created or at the time that man was being formed. And here in verse 4, we find out that an angel, apparently an angel, must have been observing what God was doing and asked him a question. Now, I want to pull this up actually in um, Psalm 8-4. I'm going to pull it up in a, in a, a Bible tool here. Uh, let's see here. Uh, let's see, what was it? Eight, uh, eight, five. And I want to look at a particular translation. Uh, doo -doo -doo -doo. Let's see. Because I want to show you this here. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. So in Psalm 8, verse 4, this angel is watching what's going on here. Of course, King David later has this vision of sorts or a revelation that he was privy to see this thing happening. And he writes about it in Psalm 8. And here this angel is asking the Lord, what is man? What is mankind? This is the same word translated Adam or Adam. And it means of blood, mankind or humankind with blood in it, of blood. Dom is of blood. So what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him, for you have made him, watch this, you have made him, referring to mankind, you have made him lower than the, now my uh, Bible, the New King James, uses the word angels, but if you go in the margin here, it says that that's not the actual Hebrew word. The actual Hebrew word is the word Elohim. Now, if you go into uh, dozens of other translations, they actually use the original Hebrew word. Why in the world did uh, King James translate that as angels? I don't know. Uh, several Bibles do, but the majority of Bibles actually use the word Elohim, 
which is generically translated as the Godhead. Now, here's this angel, and this angel is watching God make man. And he says, what is man, mankind? Yet you are so mindful of him that you have placed him below the Godhead. All right, now let's go back to Genesis 2.18. And what does it say? It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make a helper compatible with him. Well, we find out that what has happened here is that the counsel in heaven was this. It is not good that Jesus or the Godhead should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. The only thing comparable to a head is a what? Is a body. And we see that's the New Testament mystery is that Jesus is the head of the church and all born again believers are what? His body. And so to flesh that out, God makes mankind. And then out of mankind, he separates his attributes into a head and into a body. And here we see it right here. It's not good that this man should be alone. Well, why? Because ultimately God's design was that mankind would be the bride of Christ, would be the body of Christ. Come on, somebody. You see where this is going? The ultimate here was it's not good that Jesus should be alone. I'm going to make for him a comparable. I'm going to make something that the only thing that is compatible with Jesus is a body. Now, go on to verse 21 and look at what's going on here. When we get into verse 21, it says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on mankind or humankind or this creation that has blood in it. And he took the side of man or half of a whole, the Hebrew word T-S-E-L-A, selah, selah, however, however you say it. And he took out half, half, he took out the whole side of man and he fashioned woman and then closed up the flesh in its place. So now in this first Adam, in that one body was a, was a head in that one flesh, we should say, was a head and a body. He pulled the body from man, left the head there, pulled body from man. This is what's happening here. Then the side, which the Lord God had taken from mankind, he made into woman. That Hebrew word right there is the Hebrew word isha, I-S-H-A-H. It's the Hebrew word isha. It's translated 425 times as wife. And then he says this, He took woman or wife from man, or we could say body. He took the body from man and brought her to the man. Verse 23, and Adam said, this is what? Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Same thing. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 30 says, it says we are members of his body. Who? Jesus. Who's what? The head. And flesh of his flesh and bones of his bones. We are flesh and of his, uh, of his flesh and of his bones. That's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30. Same thing being said here when woman or body or wife is being presented to who? The head, the husband. Come on. Are, are you tracking with me? And Adam says this in uh, Genesis 2, 23. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She... Uh, Literally, that word, this human, okay, uh, in, in English is translated she. But what's the, the actual Hebrew word there is he's saying this or this human shall be called what? Isha or wife or a.k.a. what? Body. Because she was taken out of man. Now, that word man right there changes. Every time we see the word man or Adam, or as we, you and I know, Adam, Adam wasn't necessarily a proper name. It's uh, come to be known as a proper name, and it's used today as a proper name. Um, you know, I, I've, I know people named Adam. Uh, I know some people named Eve. And uh, anyways, but the word changes here. Whenever you, see, you saw man before, it was, the, it was the Hebrew word translated thousands of times, referring to mankind or humankind, uh, generically man, okay? But it wasn't just uh, gender neutral in that sense. 
whenever we see the word mankind, it includes both male and female. But now when we see this word man in Genesis 2.23, it is not the Hebrew word Adam. It is not the Hebrew word for mankind or humankind. It is the Hebrew word Ish, which is translated uh, as husband many times, but it is also translated to refer to the gender distinction of male. So now we see something here. When mankind was separated into two distinct creations, man, woman, male, female, a husband, wife, head, body, they recognize their distinctions. They honor their distinctions, which people are struggling with today, but they honor. Adam honors this this, this, uh, this distinction. Excuse me. I'm getting tongue-tied. And now he recognizes the anointing and the place uh, and the mirror image of himself. He says, I am reflected in this woman. As we come to find out later that Christ is reflected in his body because the glory of Christ is the church. The glory of the husband is the wife. The glory of man is the woman. That's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 11 talks about that. The glory of God is Jesus, and then we are the glory of Jesus. Why? Because we're his bride. We're his body. Come on, and we're the temple. The glory of the Lord always fills the temple when it's complete because the glory is housed in the body. Come on, somebody. Are you tracking with the mystery here? Oh, it's fascinating. So here in verse 23, this word man, uh, now Adam will be referred to as Ish from here on out. And whenever you see the word translated mankind or humankind, it's not referring to male man or husband male. It's referring to mankind in general. Hallelujah. Adam immediately recognizes her as body, immediately recognizes her as wife, immediately recognizes himself as the husband or the head now. Now, very interesting. Uh, we got a little bit of time left here. Let's talk about this, this concept of husbandry. You ever heard this word? Husbandry, not husband, husbandry. It'd be husband, D-R-Y, husbandry. Now, whenever you hear that word, most people automatically think farming or agriculture. But the definition of husbandry is this. It's the oversight of a household. That's the definition of the word husbandry. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. It says this, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of his household. That Greek word household is translated in other passages as family, but it's the Greek word oikos. And this says now that we've been born again, we're not strangers uh, and foreigners now. No, we are now citizens of this household. Or we could take from other passages, we are now members of this family. We are God's family. The word family, again, is oikos. That Greek word oikos is where we get the modern word of economy. That's why he used the word citizens. You are now citizens of an economy. Hallelujah. Uh, that Greek word household, family, oikos is where we also get the modern word ecosystem, ecosystem. Husbandry is the oversight of an ecosystem or an economy. And in that economy or in that ecosystem or in that household or in that family, there are members that make up the body. There are citizens that make up the body of that ecosystem. Look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. Oh, this is fascinating. In the King James Version of the Bible, it says this, For we are laborers together with God. We are God's husbandry. We are God's building. Right there, it actually uses the word husbandry. In another translation, it says we are God's vineyard. Why? Because he is the one that has oversight over the entire family of God. He's also known as the great shepherd, and we're, we're called his sheep. We are members, come on, we are members of God's family, therefore we are his husbandry. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30, I just quoted that earlier, but it says we are members of his body. 
and flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones. Hallelujah. So that makes him what? Well, that makes him the husband. Jesus is our husband. Some people have contested that we are the bride of Christ. Well, uh, we are the bride of Christ because we're members of his body and because the head is tasked with the oversight of a body or the oversight of a household or the oversight of a oikos and the very function of oversight is called husbandry. Jesus is clearly our husband. Who is his bride? Who is his body? What constitutes the temple? Well, it's all the born-again people, the ecclesia, those who have been totally regenerated by Holy Spirit. You and I make up the members of that household. We are the object of his husbandry. Now, again, most people only know husbandry today is basically farming. That's how far uh, far that definition has fallen, how muddied it has become. While it's appropriate to apply it to farming, it totally misses the fullness of the definition. Let me give you a little uh, stronger definition for husbandry. It literally means the care, cultivation, and comprehensive management or stewardship of resources. Hallelujah, somebody. Husbands are stewards then. Heads are stewards. What do heads steward? They steward the body. What do husbands steward? They steward a household, a family. They steward a wife. They steward a body. They steward a oikos, an economy. A family is an ecosystem. You got a husband and wife and children and then the various activities that constitute that ecosystem. Now, whomever is responsible for cultivating a family, which the husband is, whoever is responsible for cultivating a team, you ever been on a team? Who's responsible for the oversight or the management or the stewardship of the resources of that team? Well, the head is. The head is. The leader is the head. What about a, a business that has employees? Who's responsible for the ecosystem or the economy, the household, the oikos of that business? Well, the employer is. Well, what anointing does the employer come under? He comes under the anointing of headship or she comes under the anointing of headship. Well, then what do they practice then as they are managing and stewarding the resources of this business? They are practicing husbandry. All right? So anybody who's responsible for cultivating a, a, a team, a family, a marriage, a ministry, an organization. That person comes under the anointing of the head, and therefore they're responsible to steward the members that make up that family, that body, that team, etc. Now let's look at the word husband. Let's look at this for a second. The word husband, it's a compound, compound word, H-U-S, hus. And then B-A-N-D, band. If we look at these two separate words here, you see the compound word, hus, comes from an old word. It was pronounced hus. And it was an old word that stood for house. Hus is an old word, uh, old word that stood or meant house. Band. What about band? Band, again, is an old word that was used in referring to the bond or the covenant to a house that someone owned. So when, when we put these two words together, husband, a husband is a uh, man, and in this instance, husband is strictly male. There are no female husbands. There are no male wives. In this instance, this relational dynamic has been already defined by God. We yield to these definitions. Adam called himself husband. He was the male. He had the male uh, gender distinction. He recognized woman who had the female gender distinction. He recognized her as wife. This set the precedent then for all time. Hallelujah, somebody for that. That's, that, that's pretty easy. But husband referred to the covenant that one had with a house or a household. Therefore, when man and woman, when male and female come together in covenantal marriage, God 
assigns the responsibility to that covenant to oversee and to watch over and to protect. Uh, obviously, both have responsibilities, but the husband is the one that has the headship over that covenant. Hallelujah. Look at uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. Hebrews 3, 6. And I'm going to read that to you from the Amplified Classic. And it says, But Christ the Messiah was faithful over his own father's house. Greek word oikos. Again, this word is translated family. This word is translated household. This word is translated um, economy. This word is translated modern ecosystem. But Jesus was faithful over his own father's house, oikos, as a son and master of it. If you do a word study on the Greek word oikos, you'll see almost universally associated with it, you'll see something like a pater, which is translated father. You'll see something like a master of the house or father of the house. You'll see a headship over an oikos. Uh, oikos does include lineages, and so you get these extensions of uh, interdependent economies or households or families that were interdependent on the other families. And usually at the top of that, you have a father over that or a master of the house. Here we see that Father God, he is the ultimate uh, father. That's why when we're born again, first revelation, Holy Spirit gives us of creator God is that he's father. We cry out, Abba, father. Why? Because he's distinguishing himself as the head over the household. Now, there was another son being raised up in this household, Jesus here, Ephesians chapter three. And because Jesus was faithful, the father gave him a double portion blessing and assigned him head over all things that concern the church. Therefore, Jesus stepped into the role of husband, the one who's stewarding the, co the covenantal contract that concerns his very own, come on, Isha, his very own bride, which you and I are metaphorically, we are the bride of Christ and his body. The, the father of whose, you know, we are his vineyard, we are his husbandry, because Jesus was faithful, the Father gave him charge over his household. Hallelujah. And then it says, we are members of this house. You, you and I, the born-again believer, are members of this house. So if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, we begin to see how God began to flesh out the ultimate revelation is that God wanted a family for his son, Jesus. God wanted a, a wife, uh, if we could say it like that. I know people are going to freak out when we use language like this, but you have totally over-sexualized this whole thing, and that's how you're all screwed up because you made it all about sex and sexual things. You know, all this gender dysphoria and craziness that's going on is because it's all it's it's been sexualized. Hallelujah. But God's clearing it up for us. And we're not getting off into those kinds of errors because we're seeing the revelation. We understand the mystery. We're coming to the understanding of the mystery. It had nothing to do with sex. It had everything to do with that God wanted something that would uh, be able to contain the glory of the Godhead, something that would be a mirror reflection of himself, something that would express all of his attributes. It became known as husband and wife. It became known as male and female. It became known as head and body, which is the ultimate expression here. Because we find out in the second Adam, who's the second Adam? Jesus is the second Adam. Well, why is that important? Why is he called the second Adam? Because in Christ, there's neither male nor female. You don't lose your gender distinctions. Females don't cease to be females. Males don't cease to be males. But that is not the ultimate revelation. The ultimate revelation is that in Christ, male and female, who in the first Adam were separated in order to bring back together in covenant, what did that express? God's heart that this separate, distinct creation would be united to him, and nobody would be able to say they're two. Everybody would have to say they're one. So, in mankind, the first Adam, 
he separated these attributes that reflect himself, male, female, husband, wife, head, body, then brought them together in a thing called covenant, charged the head with responsibility over the body. Notice the body isn't less than. We've covered that. It's equal but different. It's equal but has different attributes. It's equal but opposite. It's equal but a mirror opposite. It's equal but yet designed face-to-face. That Greek word is pros. You should look that up against, face-to-face, right in front of. But here we see that male and female, husband and wife, head and body were separate in order to be brought back together through a thing called covenant. And through covenant, these two would be united as one. God says, whatever I have joined together, let no man separate. Well, what's he talking about? He is talking about male, female, husband, wife. That's why we use that language in a marriage ceremony, you know, that God has joined you together. Therefore, don't let anybody separate you. All right, this is where the concept of a divorce, God hates divorce, comes in because he hates that that's being separated. Why? Because it's a reflection of what he was going to do with his own creation that would be compatible and comparable with his own son, Jesus. But here, these two were two. He brought them together through covenant in one Why? So that the second Adam, the second Adam, the second Adam, which is Jesus, would be united. And that those that would be united with Jesus would not be considered less than or second to. They would be considered one when they were united through covenant. Now listen, the Bible says, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. The same way God sees a husband and a wife, the, the same way God sees a head and a body, sees them as one, not, not two. The attributes are reflected in two, but when you bring those two attributes together through, through covenant, they create one seamless expression of something. And what an, what an amazing privilege, what an amazing opportunity you and I have. In fact, this is the gospel, friends. The gospel that you and I have been in charge with is this invitation to become the bride, the body, and the building of our Lord Jesus Christ, to become his very own household. That's the gospel you and I have right now. It's not the Matthew 25 gospel of the kingdom. That's the gospel for the tribulation period, and that's how people are going to hold fast and hang on and survive such crazy times is because if they believe that Jesus, come on, and the company that's with him, his bride and body is returning shortly, and they're going to set all things right. That gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. Um, that's not our gospel right now. Our gospel right now is this invitation. It's the marriage invitation. In Revelation, it says, I hope you don't miss the marriage supper of the Lamb. What is that referring to? The bride, the body, and the building being united with the one who was faithful over Heavenly Father's oikos, and that's Jesus. Notice it says Jesus appointed him head over, head over all things. I want to go back here to this thought that I opened with. We don't define relationships. God does. God defines relationships. And right now, you and I are literally part of fleshing out this mystery. God's defining relationships in our lives. If you're married, God defined that. Like uh, when I was eight, 18 years old, I think I was 18, 18 close to 19, um, the Lord told me one day that Miranda would be my wife. Now, today, she is my wife. Miranda is my wife. But I remember that uh, the Lord spoke that to me. What was he doing? He was defining relationships. He was defining for me my body. He was joining me. Come on, somebody. He was joining me together. He brought revelation to me on who my wife was, who my body was to be, because it's not good that a head should be alone. It's not good that a man should be alone. All this is a reflection of himself. We're seeing his very own heart towards us as he, in multiple dimensions, in various dynamics, he's bringing definition to relationships. That's one relationship. And then when he brought our kids, hallelujah, you know, our children were in the mind of God before they were in our mind. God already defined these relationships. He said, this shall be your body. And he gave to Miranda and I four precious children. They are very unique, created in the image of God with gifts 
talents and abilities God put in there. God had designed them. Psalm 139, 16, David said there's a book of our life. All the days of our life are written in this book. God had already written out my four children's lives. And when Marin and I yielded to God's definition, we began to pray, we began to seek God, uh, and then we had four children, then God was able to fulfill, come on, the building out of our oikos, of our household, of which the husband, myself, I've been charged with the task of husbandry. I've been charged with the task of oversight of this body, this household, this economy, this ecosystem. And it's been fascinating. But I say God brought that definition. God orchestrated that. He's the one that showed me who my Isha was to be. And then we acted upon covenantal relationship, covenantal marriage. And now we're not two anymore. We're one. In fact, my whole household, God sees as one. Not two, he sees as one. Our whole ecosystem, he sees as one. Not two, but one. And, all right, let's answer this as we close. I don't want to make this confusing, but we should go over this. All husbands are males, but not all heads are males. Some heads can be females. For example, there's a concept called under-shepherd when you get into the New Testament when God's placing leaders over the, uh, giving them responsibility over his sheep. Okay, that's another metaphor. We are his sheep. That's a metaphor. We're not literally um, sheep as far as animals, but the metaphor is speaking to a literal reality or revelation. And so we are metaphorically his sheep. He is our shepherd. Okay, we are metaphorically his bride. He's metaphorically our husband. We are his body. He is our head. You understand how the metaphors are used? And so uh, there's this concept called under-shepherds. Every head is an under-shepherd or an, um, yeah, well, I don't know what the phrase under-head is appropriate, but, but you get the concept. So women are equal to man, just they reflect different attributes of the Godhead. God has defined who will be the head of the marriage. He said the husband will be the head of the marriage. Therefore, only males are husbands. Only females are wives. But when it comes to the other metaphoric outworking, females can be heads. If any female is in charge of a team, then she steps into the headship anointing and the team members become the body of that oikos. And so that very simple decipher right there, you can see how this plays out in so many various dynamics. Again, you can see how the enemy has tried to distort the role of women, distort the anointing on the body, distort the anointing on the head, and sometimes men think because they're male, they're the head everywhere. Well, that's, well, that's not true. You're not the head in every relationship. You're not, you're not defined head in every dynamic, every God-orchestrated relationship. That's utterly ridiculous. You may be the head of your wife, but if you walk into my ministry, say, you're not the head here just because you're a male. No, if God calls you to be a part of this oikos, the oikos, the economy, the ecosystem, the household of our ministry, well, obviously, he's not calling you to be the head over this thing because I'm the head over it. So what would you be if you're a male? You would become, you would step into the anointing, the privileged place of the anointed outworking of the body. So same thing for for females, for women. is It depends on God orchestrating it. Totally, women are anointed as heads in so many dynamics of their life. Uh, my wife uh, leads our children at home. She's totally responsible for what goes on in that home. She becomes the head over an oikos, stewarding the lives of our children as we're educating them, training them up. And then when I come home, then I step into an anointed role of oversight when I'm not there. My wife becomes like an under-shepherd. Same thing that I am when I lead this church. I'm not the great shepherd. I'm not the chief shepherd. I'm not the good shepherd. Those are all uh, phrases that are given to the Lord Jesus Christ as it concerns his sheep. 
But when he places me and then uh, gives me a sphere of responsibility and influence, when he gives me access to his very own sheep in a leadership role, I become an under shepherd to the great shepherd. I become an anointed head for the great head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. Same thing that happens to wives, same thing that happens to females, same thing that happened to women is they are given charge. Anytime somebody's given charge over something, they begin to practice the oversight of those resources of that economy. Hallelujah. Listen, this whole thing that women can't do anything but be barefoot and pregnant is a lie straight from hell. Hallelujah. It's a lie. Hallelujah. It is such a lie. Women are totally capable of being leaders. Women are totally capable of being anointed as headship in headship roles, stewarding resources, cultivating resources, being in charge over something, leading something, having oversight for something. But the Bible says this, that the husband is the head of the wife and not the other way around. In that oikos, God has already brought definition. And so there's no sense in arguing that. Um, Hallelujah. I hope you got something out of that today. Stay with me. You can tune in also to gracecitychurch.tv and catch up. We're also ministering on along these lines in our Sunday services as well. Oh, but God is revealing the mystery to us, friends. And I'm so thankful for it. Again, let me close with this, that I'm only defined. Remember, he defines relationships. I'm only defined as a head in a few relational dynamics in my life. The majority of the God-defined and orchestrated relationships that are in my life, in the majority of them, I'm a part of the body. Someone else is the head. Someone else is the head. Some of them are female. Some of them are male. Not all of them are male. Not all of them are female. I'm only the head, as definition by God, in a few dynamic relationships in my life. And listen, friends, I think if you're honest, you will realize as well that that's probably the case for you. You are not the head everywhere, but you're not the body everywhere. It's up to you and I to recognize, to honor the definitions and to yield to those definitions and the anointing that associates them. Hallelujah. All right, friends, if we can pray for you, it would be our honor to do so. You can reach out to us. Send us an email at hello at gracecitychurch.tv. That's hello at gracecitychurch.tv. Or call us 870-741-9099. Leave a message. Somebody will get right back with you. But it would be our honor. It's our privilege to agree together with you in prayer concerning God's will for you and your life. Hallelujah. Again, if you want to participate in helping us build out our new studio, uh, you can go to the website, gracecitychurch.tv forward slash give, select studio project. And in advance, friends, I thank you so much for helping us build out that new studio. It's just going to help us get this content out there and further into the nations. Oh, wow. Hallelujah. Well, I've had a great time today. Listen, friends, until next time, be blessed.